Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, and uh, tonight we find ourselves in chapter 13. And uh, you'll find uh, sometimes in Scripture that a chapter will have a theme, and we're going to actually see quite a bit of that as we finish up the book of Corinthians. Here in chapter 13, you may have noticed that the theme is this word, charity. Uh, when we get into chapter 14, it'll be about tongues uh, chapter 15, it'll be about the resurrection, and uh, you find quite a bit of that throughout the Bible. And uh, tonight, we're, we're going to go through this whole chapter. It's not very long, but there's a lot here, and we're going to be talking about this word charity. But before we really dig into it, I, I want to just talk to you about the word charity and why it was chosen, or why I believe, or in my opinion, why it was chosen uh, by the King James translators. The new versions of Scripture will replace the word charity here in 1 Corinthians 13 with the word love. And um, that's not necessarily a, a terrible, uh, you know, change there. And the reason for that is because the, if you look at the underlying word that is translated charity, that same word in our King James Bible in other places is also translated uh, love. So when you're making a case for the King James Bible, uh, trying to explain to people that 1 Corinthians 13 should not have the word love is probably not the strongest argument. There are much better arguments than that because our own King James Bible translates that same word uh, as love in other parts in, in the Bible. With that said, because of that, because of the fact that the same Greek word was translated love in other places in our own King James Bible, you have to understand that the King James translators chose on purpose the word charity there for a reason. So it wasn't a mistake. It was a, it, there was a reason why they did that. And uh, I want to just share that with you a little bit before we jump into the text. First of all, uh, you know, as to why they chose the word charity as opposed to the word love, you know, I believe because of what the word charity means. Uh, charity speaks of action, uh, not just a state of feeling. And charity, you know, our, our modern word charity, when we talk about charity today, we talk about like giving to charity or giving to someone in need. Uh, part of that is because of 1 Corinthians 13 and the things we learn from 1 Corinthians 13. But the word charity has this action associated with it. So it's not just a state of feeling like, I feel love, but I'm actually going to do something about it. And you're going to notice as we go through this chapter tonight that that's the emphasis of this chapter. It's love in action. It's love when it gets to work. But also along with that, there's an, there, with the word charity, you have this uh, you know, meaning of no expectation or no repayment. When you give to you know, some cause or you give, you know, uh, it's Christmas time and you give to feed you know, orphans or whatever, I don't know what you give to, but uh, when you give uh, you know, to charity, there's usually not an expectation there that you're going to receive something in return. You're completely giving with no expectation of receiving anything in return. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is writing to us about when he explains to us this word charity. It's a love that takes action, but it's a love that expects nothing in return. So that's one, one of the reasons or a couple of reasons why I believe the word charity was chosen. Another reason is because uh, the, I believe the word charity was chosen in this passage is because of the antonym of charity or because of what charity does not mean. See, when 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 if I were to ask you, you know, what is the antonym, you know, what is the opposite of the word love, you would probably say hate, you know. In fact, if you look up the word love in a thesaurus and look for the antonym, the first antonym that's going to come up is the word hate. But when you look at the antonym of the word charity, the first word that comes up is selfishness. And see, it is charity that this chapter is really talking about. Because this chapter, and we're going to dig into it, speaks of us, speaks of Christianity or Christians who are selfless, not selfish, who are acting upon their love and not expecting anything in return. So see, I, I believe that the King James translators did not make a mistake. They were exactly right in choosing this word charity. So sometimes people like to talk about 
1 Corinthians 13 as the love chapter, but it's the charity chapter, and it's about this word uh, charity. So we're going to study this word out, and he takes you know these 13 verses to really spell it out for us. The first thing we notice, for those of you taking notes, and I'd encourage you to take notes. Whenever you come to church, I'd encourage you to take notes. Uh, writing things down will help you retain things and remember things, and here's what you need to understand. If you can grasp the teaching in 1 Corinthians 13, it will change your life. It will revolutionize your life. If you can grasp it, if you can learn it and apply it. Because we're not talking just about love, we're talking about charity. And charity is something that needs to be put into action. So it's not enough for you to learn it, but you need to do it. You need to uh, apply it to life. The first thing we notice in this chapter is the requirement of charity. The requirement of charity. Now you may ask, well, why, why do you say that the requirement of charity? And here's what you need to understand. In the Christian life, charity is a requirement. We are required to have charity if we're going to be disciples and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you're not required to have charity if you're going to be saved, right? To be saved, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But if you're going to be a disciple of Christ, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be a Christian, it is a requirement to live the Christian life with charity. And here's the reason why. If you choose to do the Christian life, if you choose to follow Christ, if you choose to follow the teachings of Christ, to live a disciplined life or a discipled life without charity, just listen to me very carefully, you might as well just quit right now. I mean, you literally might as well just grab your Bible and go home because you are wasting your time if you are attempting to live the Christian life without charity. And the Apostle Paul spells this out for us. Look at verse number 1. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. He begins by speaking to us and explaining to us about the matter of communication. He He says, if I were the most gifted communicator, if I was the most gifted speaker, and you can apply this in two different ways. You can apply this as a pastor, someone who stands up to preach the word of God. And, you know, he's saying, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, he says, if I could be the most eloquent speaker, if I could be the most dynamic preacher, if I could be the most, you know, uh, effective communicator, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, notice what he says. He says, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, what does that mean, sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal? He's literally just saying, you become a sound. You become a noise. And he's saying, look, it doesn't matter how gifted you are in your communication. Now, let's apply it to some of you. You, you, could, say, you, you could say, well, I'm the, mo- the most gifted soul winner. I mean, when I gave the gospel, the presentation is so clear. My, you know, illustrations are so good. I'm so confident. I'm funny. You know, I keep people's attention. I, I'm just the, the greatest soul winner that's ever lived. You know, and, and if that's the case, then praise the Lord for that. You know, if, usually when people say those things, I've, I've noticed they're not, you know. But if that's you, okay. But here's what you need to understand. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling symbol. And by the way, realize that, you know, especially for people in my position, those of us who preach for a living, you know, be careful about judging preachers solely on their speaking ability. Because the gift, you know, the, the ability to speak is really a gift or a talent that God gives you. We learned about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a gift that God gives you. And you can work on that. And you can refine that. And you can make that better. But here the Apostle Paul is teaching us that the real judgment that should be given to a preacher or to any Christian is not how well they communicate, but how they live the Christian life and how they live out this word charity. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not charity. He says, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Look at verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And remember that this, this is going in the context of cha- the, pa- the chapter we were just in, chapter 12, because we just uh, learned about spiritual gifts in chapter 12. And he's now telling us, okay, so you've got these gifts. You're able to communicate well. Great. But if you're doing it without charity, you are become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy, 
and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You know, you, you have the ability to really dissect those hard passages and you're going to explain, you know, once I'm preaching through Ezekiel, you're going to come up to me afterwards and tell me where I'm wrong on everything, which is fine. You know, I, I, it'd be better if you did it before I preach the sermon, but if you do it after, that, that's all right. But, you know, you can understand it all. You understand Daniel's 70th week. You understand the book of Revelation. You understand, you know, you dig into it. It's not boring to you. It's interesting. And you have the gift of prophecy. Understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You are like, uh, like we talked about. But the idea is, if you don't have charity, look at the last part of the verse, I am nothing. He says, look, it doesn't matter how much you know if you don't have charity. Now, we're not saying, hey, and I've got all the, you know, I've listened to all the sermons and all the subjects, I've got all the answers, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are spiritual. You say, what is spirituality? How you live out charity in your life. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, then he says this, and though I have all faith, you know, I, I just have a, a, a strong faith and trust in God. In fact, I've got so much faith that I can do what Jesus said so that I could remove mountains. He says, and have not charity, I am nothing. He says, it does not matter how knowledgeable you are. None of it will matter without charity. It does not matter how much faith you have. None of it will matter without charity. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, you sacrifice. You're generous. He says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, notice what he says, it profiteth me nothing. These words really ought to scare us. You know, we we really should take heed to the first three verses of this chapter. Because, you know, the, the Apostle Paul earlier in this letter, explained to us that there is a coming judgment called the judgment seat of Christ, and he told us that our works are going to be burned up in that day, they're going to be tested in that day, and he told us that some of us, some of us are going to get to heaven, we're saved, not by our works, we're going to get to heaven, but as of by fire. Everything is going to get burnt up. There's going to be no work left that we'll be rewarded of. And I believe that part of that reason is because a lot of us are doing a lot of work but lacking charity. And he says, look, it doesn't matter how much you gave. It doesn't matter how much you sacrifice. Notice, and though I give my body to be burnt. He says, if you are a martyr for Christ, and the persecution comes to the United States of America, and you say, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to hide. I'll die for Jesus. And you give your body to be burned. But he says, and have not charity. He says, it profiteth me nothing. This is why I tell you, if you're going to live the Christian life without charity, you might as well just literally just get up and go home. Because you are wasting your time. And by the way, this verse is teaching us that when you give to gain, you get nothing from God. When you give solely to get something in return, when you give solely to get recognition in return, the Bible says, it profiteth me nothing. So we see the requirement of charity. What is the requirement of charity? That if I'm going to live the the Christian life, now look, I don't know about you, but you know, if I'm going to play a game, I want to know what the rules are. And if I'm going to play in this game, in this fight, in this battle of the Christian life, I want to know what the rules are. And you need to understand something. And Paul makes it as clear, I believe, as he can in the first three verses of this chapter, that if you don't learn to carry out charity in your life, nothing you do for God matters. You are nothing. It profits you nothing. You are a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Now, why does Paul begin that way? Here's why he begins that way. Because he's about to explain to us the characteristics of charity. And usually, we like to just kind of ignore those. Like, oh yeah, you know, I struggle with that. Or, oh yeah, I don't really do that. Or, oh yeah. But please realize, when we go through the list of the characteristics, and we get to a part that you say, yeah, that's not me, but, you know, it's just how I am. Just realize you are choosing to forfeit everything you're doing. And every reward you might get for God. So he explains to us the requirement of charity so that we'll sit up and listen to the characteristics of charity. Because if I do these things without charity, I mean, if I get up and preach three times a week for the rest of my life and I wax eloquent and I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And if I bestow, though I bestow my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, the Bible says it profiteth me nothing. 
So we see the requirement of charity. Secondly, tonight, we see the characteristics of charity. This is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. But I want you to understand that the importance of the characteristics is found in the first three verses, the fact that it is required. It is required to live a life of charity as a Christian. So what are the characteristics? We basically, he, he gives us the characteristics in two different ways. He tells us what charity does, and then he also tells us what charity does not do. Now what he does is he gives us a couple of what charity does, then he gives us several of what charity does not do, then he goes back to what charity does. Just for sake of time, I, I cut those up. We're going to cover every verse, but we're going to go through them, uh, maybe skipping around a little bit. We're going to cover seven of what charity does, and then seven of what charity does not do. Now, there is not exactly seven and seven, but one of the characteristics, you can't really divide it, so I just put it into the category of what charity does. So we'll have seven of what it does and seven of what it doesn't do. And let's look at that real quickly together. Look at verse four. Here's the first thing. Charity suffereth long. Charity suffereth long. What does that word suffer long or long suffering mean? It means charity is patient. It means to be patient. Now keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 and go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you're there in 1 Corinthians, you're going to go past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. Now look, many of us will, would say, jokingly, even myself, would say like, oh yeah, you know, I'm not patient. Well, be careful about just having this attitude, ah oh, yeah, I'm just not patient, I'm not a patient person. Because the moment you say, ah, oh, I'm not patient, you're, you're are, you need to understand that what you're doing now is telling God, anything I do profits nothing, anything I do, I am nothing, I profit nothing, I'm a sounding brass, I'm a tinkling cymbal. These things were put in the Bible for a reason because God desires that we understand what he expects from us. Now so we can say, yeah, I'm just not a patient person. My dad wasn't patient. My mom wasn't patient. It just doesn't run in my mind. No, no, no. Don't make excuses for these things. You know, when we go through this list, you need to realize if I'm not patient, if I'm not long-suffering, if I don't suffer long, I better figure out how to do that because I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that I'm nothing, that it profited me nothing that I accomplished nothing. Are you there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? Look at verse 14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says this, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak. Notice these words. Be patient towards all men. Be patient towards all men. And look, this is something we constantly have to remind ourselves of, to be patient, to be immensely patient, to be extremely long-suffering. When things aren't going our way, when things are not, you know, working out, when everything's falling apart, when things just, you know, oh, it seems like every time someone walks up to you, they're giving you bad news and telling you why, what's not working and what can't be done, we must remind ourselves that we should be long-suffering, that we should be patient. The Bible says, be patient toward all men. And by the way, that includes your children. Because sometimes we mind our P's and our Q's with adults, but we were very impatient with our children. Well, the Bible says we are to be suffering long, long-suffering. We are to be patient. So I just want to encourage you tonight. When something begins to frustrate you, when something begins to upset you, when you begin to kind of sense that you are losing patience, you might want to remind yourself to be long-suffering, to be immensely patient in life. Because we are to be patient toward all men. Notice the second characteristic. Keep your place there in 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to come back towards that area of the Bible, but go back to 1 Corinthians 13. We see number one, suffereth long. We see number two, is kind. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, is kind. Some of you are going to lose all of the rewards that you've earned in heaven, not because you weren't a great soul winner, not because you weren't a great worker, not because you weren't godly, not because you didn't read the Bible, not because you didn't have knowledge, not because you didn't work on your soul winning presentation and, and, and waxed eloquent out soul winning, not because of any of that, but because of the way you treat your spouse or the way you treat your children or the way you treat that uh, worker at the drive-thru that, yeah, I can be a jerk to them because nobody's going to know anyway. I mean, I better be nice to the people at church because, you know, pastor's watching and other people are watching, but, you know, I've already lost my patience, right, with this worker at the drive-thru. I've already lost my patience at the airport, right? I've already lost my patience, so now I can just be a jerk and not be kind. Just remember, 
that God attached long-suffering and God attached being kind to all of the rewards and all the profit that you're going to live and have as a Christian life. So you may want to just remind yourself when you begin to lose your temper, your, your temper that we are to be kind. Charity suffereth long and is kind. You don't have to turn there. Ephesians 4.32 says this, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We see the third characteristic in verse number 6. Now, in verse number 6, this characteristic can go either way. It can go on the knots or in, the, in what charity does and what charity does not do. I put it in the what charity does uh, just because it's in verse 6 and we can get it all out, but it, it, it's basically connected. Here's what it says. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. What does that mean? It basically means this. Does not take joy out of that which is wrong or unrighteous, but takes joy in that which is just and true. So every time you turn on the television and you laugh at one of those sodomite characters, just remember that charity rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Every time you hear of someone that maybe you don't like, and they messed up, or they sinned, or you hear, you know, and this happens with preachers, you know, we make enemies, and we are enemies, and we have all sorts of things, and we hear of some preacher that said something mean about me, and then I learn that they messed up somewhere, or they got caught in a lie, or they got, or, or they got kicked out of a church, or they got, hey, be careful about rejoicing in iniquity, and, rejo- and make sure that we're always rejoicing in the truth, because you're forfeiting everything that you do for the Christian life when you don't live out this word, charity. It also means this, that it does not take joy in the sin and failures of others. Here's what it means. It means that charity does not go on a witch hunt to uncover mistakes. Some of you work with people like that. Uh, hopefully, you're not that person. But, you know, you, you always have that one person at work that's always trying to figure out what somebody's doing wrong so they can go tell the boss, right? Because the more things you do wrong, the better they look. Some people live their marriages like this. There's a husband who's always trying to figure out when the wife messes up at something so he can jump down her throat. Or the wife is always trying to find when the husband, you know, didn't do something that he was supposed to so that she can get mad. Well, just realize this. You're not living out charity because charity rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Charity does not go on a witch hunt to uncover people's mistakes. Charity does not rejoice in the sin and failures of others. Look at verse 7. Beareth all things. Charity beareth all things. What does that mean? It means it carries a load. It holds up a burden. We all get weary and tired in the Christian life. I mean, all all of us, no matter what area of life you're in, we all have loads, crosses that we must carry. But just realize that charity beareth all things. Charity comes alongside and bears the load. And when you say it's unbearable or I will not bear it, just realize that that is not charity. Because charity beareth all things. The Bible says this in verse 7, believeth all things. What does that mean, believeth all things? Charity chooses to see the best and believe the best in people. It chooses to give people the benefit of the doubt. Charity is constantly... Hopeful, and we see that next, hope with all things. But here's what charity is not doing. It's not speculating and assuming the worst in others. And look, some people live their lives like this. Some, some people, you know, you, I mean, visitors walk into church and you're just like... You know, and we need to be careful, obviously, and we need to be watching everybody, and we got cameras, and we've got ushers, and we get that. But don't live your life just constantly just assuming and speculating that they're doing something wrong. You're, my employees are doing something wrong. I know my employees are doing something wrong, but, you know, I'm a charitable employer. I'm just kidding. They're doing great. Um, you know, charity does not live its life constantly speculating and assuming the worst in others. Charity believeth all things. Notice these words, hopeth all things. What does that mean? That means it's positive. It hopes for the best. It does not embrace doubt. Some people like to live their lives, you know, like they're, 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 they're only comfortable when the sky is falling. 
I mean, the sky is falling, the world's coming to an end, nothing is good, everything's bad, right? Sometimes I'm, I'm a little, you know, unsure of, you know, preaching sermons like the sermon I preached on Sunday night or preaching sermons, you know, about the laws and stuff because sometimes you bring up laws and people are like, oh, we got to move to Texas or something, you know. And look, you know, the Bible says that charity hopeth all things. It just lives in a positive state of mind. It chooses to see the cup half full. It does not embrace doubt. It does not live negatively. Notice these words, endureth all things. Endureth all things. What does that mean? It means to suffer something painful or difficult patiently. It means that you suffer something that's painful or difficult patiently. Now, people don't understand this because remember, the first word was suffered long, right? Suffer is not something we like. Suffer is not something that's good, that we enjoy. But yet, patient people will suffer long or live a patient life and they will endure all things. Now, you say, how can I know if I am a patient person? Or how can I know if I am enduring all things? And there's really one great way for you to know this. And here is the test. How much do you complain? Because patience is not, you know, I endure something painful and difficult while complaining. Patience is I endure something painful or difficult and I do it with a good attitude. And I just bear all things. And I believe that things are going to get better. And I'm hopeful that things are going to work out. And I'm not complaining. And I'm not mad. And I'm not angry. And I'm not mad. And some of you, you have some rough relationships with maybe your children. Or you've got some rough times coming up financially. Or you've got some issues in your marriage. Or you've got some problems with an extended family member or whatever it might be. And here's all you need to understand. Charity endureth all things. It suffers patiently without complaining. It suffers with hope that things are going to get better and that things are going to work out. It believeth, it chooses to believe that it's going to be okay. This is what charity does. Now let's talk about what charity does not do. Go, down, go back to verse number four. Notice verse four. Charity suffereth long and is kind, right? We saw that. Notice what charity does not do. Charity envieth not. Charity envieth not. Now, if you kept your place in 1 Thessalonians, I'd like you to, you know, from 1 Thessalonians, I'd like you to go to the book of James. You got 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. James chapter 4. And let's talk about this word envy for a second. It's funny because I actually had somebody ask me about this on Sunday night, the word envy. And then it's in our passage here, here, um, here tonight. If you study the word, you know, today we use the word envy, but we basically use the word jealous or jealousy as a synonym to the word envy. We use them as the same word. In the Bible, it's not so. Now, the words are very closely related. They basically mean the same thing. But in the Bible, and if you've never noticed this before, I'd encourage you to study this out on your own. In the Bible, whenever the Bible uses the word jealous, jealousy, it's always a positive thing. And the word envy or envieth is always a negative thing. And you say, I thought jealousy was negative all of the time. You know, our society has basically made these words match. But in the Bible, that's not the case. Because there are some things that you should be jealous about. And in the Bible, we often find that the Lord is jealous over his people. And that there are, that a man may be jealous over his wife. So jealousy is completely you know, a positive thing when you are jealous over something that uh, is yours or belongs to you or is supposed to be for you. So look, when, uh, you know, someone is married and a husband is being flirtatious with other women and the wife is jealous, that's righteous. She should be jealous. Or if a wife is being flirtatious with men she's not married to and the husband is jealous over his wife, that's righteous. That's totally appropriate. It's fine. You should be jealous over those things that are for you or belong to you or are toward you. In the Bible, though, the word envy is negative. Now, what does it mean to envy? Well, in James chapter 4 and verse 2, I want you to notice, and, um, and you know, I don't do this a lot, but I, I just want you to understand, 
In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, we have these words, charity envieth not. The word envy, or the word envieth, the Greek word that's translated envieth in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, appears also in James chapter 4 and verse 2. But it's not translated as the word envy, it's translated as something different. Let's look at it. James chapter 4, verse 2. Ye lust and have not, ye kill, and, why don't you notice these words, desire to have desire to have. That's the same word. The King James translators chose in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to use the word envieth, and they chose in James chapter 4 and verse 2 to choose to use the words desire to have. Now, why do they do that? Here's why they do that. Because that allows us, the Bible serves as its own dictionary. It allows us to define the word envy. What does it mean to envy? Envy is when you desire to have, and more specifically, when you desire to have something that does not belong to you. That's envy. So if, if you're, you know, if a man feels like his wife is being a little too comfortable with other men, then it's righteous for him to be jealous over his wife, to desire to have his wife just for himself. That's righteous. But when you desire to have somebody else's wife, that's envy. There's nothing wrong with being jealous over the things that belong to you or that are for you, but there's something wrong with having you know, envy towards things that don't, when you see somebody else's car and you wish you had their car or you wish you had their house or you wish you had their job or you wish you had whatever, that is envy. And here's all you need to understand is that charity envieth not. In charity, there is no feeling of discontentment. People that practice charity are content people. They are content they are satisfied with what God has given them. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. They don't, people who live the life of charity, they don't live their life this way. If I could only fill in the blank, then I would be happy. That, you don't, they don't live their life that way. And by the way, let me just say this. If you're living your life that way, you'll never be happy. Because happiness is not some dream you chase and if I could just live in this type of neighborhood or drive this type of vehicle or if I could just get that raise or if I could just, you know, get that position, if I could just get a wife or if I could just have children. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But when you're following, you know, things to make you happy, you'll never be happy. In the Bible, you find the people that are constantly chasing after happiness never find it. But yet those who just choose, in whatsoever state I am, they're with to be content. The joy of the Lord is their strength, and they're able to live content lives. And by the way, that's a life that practices charity. Why? Because charity envieth not. It does not have a feeling of discontentment. It does not have a resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions or qualities. Charity is not resentful to someone who has because it doesn't have. It's not mad that your buddy got the raise and you didn't get it, or your buddy got the promotion and you didn't get it, or that family got the new house and, and we're stuck you know, in our house, or they bought a new vehicle and we can't afford to. See, charity does not envy. Charity is content. Charity envieth not. Notice the second thing charity doesn't do. 1 Corinthians 13, look at verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Here's the second thing charity does not do. Charity vaunteth not itself. Charity vaunteth not itself. What does that mean? The word vaunt or vaunted means to boast, brag. It means to show off, to be a bragger. Charity does not do these things. And by the way, charity does not try to one-up. You know those people, right? You can't tell a story because they've got a better story. You can't go on a trip because they went on a better trip. Oh, you guys just went to the Philippines? Well, I, let me tell you. I went to Mars, you know, and I had 3,000 Martians saved or whatever, you know, and it's like they always just got a better story, a better idea. They always got a better whatever. But see, charity doesn't live like that. Charity does not vaunt itself. Charity is not a boaster, a bragger, attempting to always one-up everyone, impress everyone. Charity doesn't spend a lot of time on Facebook. Because most of the time that's spent on Facebook is spent bragging and boasting and look at me and look at this. And I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but nobody cares what you had for breakfast. And nobody cares that you had breakfast in Jamaica or you had breakfast in Paris or whatever. Nobody cares that you had breakfast in the Philippines. No, I'm just kidding. We care. We do care about that. Charity 
Vantad Nath. I'm so kidding about that. All right, charity Vantad Nath itself. Here's number three. Is not puffed up. Is not puffed up. What does that mean? Filled with self. Charity is not full of self. Say, Pastor Mendes, how can I tell if I'm full of self? Just audit your words. Audit your words. Carry around a recorder that's just on all the time and just forget about it for like a week. And then go back and listen to yourself and ask yourself, what do I talk about? And if, if, if all of your conversations go like this, you're puffed up. If all your conversations are all about me, if every time someone starts telling you about something they did, your eyes glaze over and you're like, all right, we got to get this back on me, then you're puffed up. You're not living a life of charity. Charity is not filled with self. Charity is not puffed up. And by the way, people don't like to have conversations that go like this. I don't know if you know that. Charity, the Bible tells us, is not puffed up. Notice verse 5. Does not behave itself of unseemly. What does that mean? That phrase just means this. Charity is not rude. Charity is not rude. Sometimes we, you know, we confuse this idea of independent fundamental Baptists and we've got to be jerks. You know, the Bible tells us to earnestly contend for the faith. We can contend for the things of God, but we don't have to be confrontational. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be jerks. We can be kind. We can, you know, we can speak the truth in love. Now, here's the thing. Some people are going to hate you just for telling them the truth. Some people are going to hate you no matter how tactfully you do it, no matter how kindly you do it. Just the fact you tell them the truth, they're going to be mad at you. And you know what? That's fine. But charity does not behave itself unseemly. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Make sure you're not confusing fundamentalism with being a jerk. Because you may find you get to heaven and you've lost all your rewards. Because charity, bonteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly. Notice the next one, verse 5. Seeketh not her own. Seeketh not her own. What does that mean? That means that charity is not selfish, or only interested in self. The Apostle Paul developed this a couple of different ways in Scripture. Let's look at one of them. Go to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12 and verse 10. You're there in 1 Corinthians, just one book back. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10. Romans 12, 10 says this. Be kindly affection. You see those words? I don't think the Apostle Paul was a jerk. I think he was a strong man of God who took some strong stands and suffered some harsh persecution, and he made a lot of enemies because he spoke the truth in love. But I don't think he went around just being a jerk to people. I don't think you could do that and be used of God to pen down 1 Corinthians 13, Romans chapter 12, be ye kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Notice these words. Here's what it means, seeketh not her own. In honor preferring one another. In honor, preferring one another. He said it in Philippians this way, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. What does that mean? Here's what that means. It means that if there's a confrontation, if there's a problem, if there's an issue where either I win or you win, I'm going to allow you to win. It means you turn the other cheek. It means that you don't continue the conflict. It means that you don't continue the argument. It means that some people call you weak, and some people think you're, you're scared, and some people don't think, or whatever. It doesn't matter. But here's the thing. We prefer others in honor preferring one another, esteeming other better than yourself. Look, this would revolutionize your job. It would revolutionize your, your, your fellowship in church. It would revolutionize your marriage. If you would realize there's an opportunity here, there's an opportunity, either I'm going to win or my wife is going to win. Either I'm going to win or my husband's going to win. And you chose, and you chose to say, you know what? I'm going to prefer and honor, prefer you over myself. I'm going to esteem you better than myself. You know that would revolutionize all of your relationships? If we would just choose to not put ourselves first, if we would just choose to seek not our own, because charity seeketh not our own. 
Charity is kindly affectionate one to another, with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Philippians 2.4, you can go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Philippians 2.4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If we learn to be more interested in the things of others than our own things, in the success of others than our own success. And by the way, you know what happens? When I learn to be more interested in you than I am in myself, in my wife than I am in myself, in my children than I am in myself, in my church, uh, fellow church members than I am in myself, you know what happens? They begin to be more interested in me than themselves. And it creates this culture of charity. And if you've never lived in a culture of charity, it's going to be kind of like heaven. Because charity seeketh not her own. There's another thing that charity does not do. It says, is not easily provoked. Is not easily provoked. Do you, if you live, if you have a short temper, you might want to fix that. Because you're going to make all your soul winning sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. You're going to make all your sacrifice to profit you nothing. You're going to get to heaven and you're going to be. Remember when Jesus says the least? That's going to be you because I am nothing when I don't live out charity. And people are like, well, it's because I'm Irish or whatever. And if you're Irish, I don't know that. Okay, I don't know anybody's Irish here. You know, it's because of my parents. It's because of my... Yeah, put all the excuses you want. The Bible says, that charity is not easily provoked. It does not, look, when someone, when someone takes a jab at you, it doesn't just jab back. Someone who lives a life of charity, you can't, you can't get, you can't push their buttons. They've removed the buttons. They're not easily provoked. And if you're easily provoked, it just shows us, and it should show you that you are not living a life of charity. Look at verse five. This is the last one in this, in the characteristics. He says, "Does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked." Here's the last one: thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. What does that mean? Charity chooses not to think evil of others, or to fixate on bad things. You know what charity does? It lets things go. You know what bitter people do? They just take something and they just fixate on it and they won't let it go. And you're bringing it up to your spouse eight years later. And you're bringing it up to your parents 20 years later. And you're bringing it up to your best friend six years later. But you know, charity is, the Bible tells us, thinketh no evil. Charity does not keep score. Charity just lets things go. You say, how can charity let things go? Well, it lets things go because it's not easily provoked. And it's not easily provoked because it seeketh not her own. And it seeketh not her own because it does not behave itself unseemly. Do you see how all these things kind of go together? It's long-suffering and it's kind. Charity is not keeping score of the last time you said and the last time she did and the last time they. Charity just chooses to think about other things. Charity chooses to think on those things that are positive. And thinketh no evil. So we saw, number one, the requirement for charity. It is required for you to live charity in the Christian life if you expect to, re- to be used of God in any major way or if you expect to get any rewards for the work you do and the life you live and the things you do and the sacrifices you make and the, the sermons you preach and the soul winning you do. If you want to get anything for any of that, if you want to be profitable, if you remember he said, I am nothing, it profiteth me nothing. If you want to get to heaven and have Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you may want to figure out how to live out charity. There's a requirement for charity. There's, a char- there's the characteristics of charity. What are they? Suffering long is kind. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Envieth not, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. That's what charity does. And that's what charity does not do. There's one last thing. Look at verse 8. Not only do we see the requirements of charity, and not only do we see the characteristics of charity, but we see the perseverance of charity. Notice verse 8. Charity never faileth. Charity never faileth. What does that mean? That means it's, it's not, not necessarily that it never quits, but it never even has the ability to quit. The idea there is kind of like our equipment in our sound room. Every once in a while, it just fails, right? Just stops working. It just, there's too much 
wear and tear. It's just too hot. It doesn't work. But see, that never happens to charity. Charity never faileth. So when you fail, listen to me. When you fail, realize it was you, not charity. Every divorce happens because of a lack of charity. Every friendship that goes astray and goes away and gets mad, and I used to be friends with that guy, but I haven't talked to him in years because he did X, Y, and Z, it's because of a lack of charity. Every time there is any failure in relationship, there is a lack of charity on one or both parties in that relationship. Because here's what I know. Charity never faileth. Say, Pastor Menace, how can I have a marriage that will never have a divorce? Get charity involved, because it never faileth. How can I have friendships that will last for decades? Get charity involved, because it never faileth. Charity never faileth. You fail, I fail. The sound equipment fails, <laughs> but charity never faileth. Notice this, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. You know, some of us are going to get the, you know, look, I believe that our movement is the most right on prophecy of any, you know, Christianity alive today. I honestly believe that. And if I didn't believe that, you know, I'd be a pre-tribber or I'd be a whatever, mid-tribber or whatever. I think that we've got it the most right of anyone alive today in regards to, you know, if you listen to that prophecy conference, I think you're going to hear the best preaching on prophecy that you can find in America today. But please understand something. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. You know that some of the things we teach and preach about prophecy, we're going to get to heaven and figure out, oh, wow, we were wrong about that. Now, we're not wrong about the pre-trib, all right? That's pretty clear. But there's going to be some things that we're going to get to heaven and be like, oh, I thought it was going to be, or I didn't realize. Why? Because whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Prophecies will fail. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will vanish away. You'll learn something and forget it. You'll learn, you'll learn something about charity tonight. You'll forget it tomorrow. You'll be angry and upset about something. Lost your temper. But you know what never fails? Charity. There's a perseverance of charity. There's a perseverance of charity in the Christian life. And we have to learn to live charity because charity never faileth. Now, he goes into this idea of prophecy for a second. I just want you to see it just as we end tonight. Look at verse 9. He says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Be very careful about being super dogmatic on prophetic type things because the truth of the matter is we know in part and we prophesy in part. You know, so be careful about judging other churches. If you're going to judge other churches, you know, judge them harshly for preaching a false gospel. Judge them harshly for preaching a false scripture. But, you know, don't get too hard on people because they're pre-trib. Now, I think pre-trib's wrong, but, you know, we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that's Jesus, then that which is in part shall be done away. Look at verse 12. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. In several weeks, we're going to begin a study in the book of Ezekiel. And one of our themes for Ezekiel is going to be, for now we see through a glass darkly. We don't really understand everything. We can do our best to study scripture, compare scriptures, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, and connecting the dots, but just realize, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Look at verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Why does he add that at the end of this chapter? And here's why. Everything we've talked about tonight as far as charity, this is real Christianity right here. This is mature Christianity. If you, look, it doesn't matter, you, oh, I wear skirts only. Praise the Lord. I think you should wear skirts only. But you know, this right here, what we learned in 1 Corinthians 13, that's mature Christianity. So you can have all the right standards. You can have all the right drinks or not the bad drinks in your home. You can have the TV. You threw the TV out. And look, I'm not minimizing any of that. You should throw out your TV. You should not have alcohol in your house. You should have all the right standards. But if you have all of that and you don't have charity, you're nothing. You're profiting nothing. You're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. 
Because when I was a child, I spake as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So I learned to be patient with my children. So I learned to be kind to strangers. So I learned to live the Christian life. Notice verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. Notice these words. This is interesting to me. But the greatest of these is charity. Now, that's interesting, because if you would have asked me, you know, if, I, if 1 Corinthians 13, 13 did not exist, and you asked me, what's the greatest, hope, faith, charity, you know, I'd, I'd have a hard time. Well, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, you need faith for salvation, you need hope for the blessed hope, you know, and charity, and you say, why does God tell us but the greatest of these is charity? I, I don't know, but if I had to take a guess, here's why I believe God tells us the greatest of these is charity. Because you can have all the hope, and you can have all the faith, and you need both, and you need faith to be saved, and we get that. But, you know, charity or love in action is an attribute of God. See, God didn't just love. He loved, so he did something. For God so loved the world that he gave. And see, when we live the life of charity, when we put charity into action, when we live a selfless love, when we give like God gave His Son, expecting nothing in return, knowing that we would never be paid back, knowing that there, when we live that, we actually are being the most godly we can be. And I believe that one of the reasons God tells us the greatest of these is charity is because one day we're going to get to heaven, and in heaven, you're not going to really need a lot of faith because, you know, we're going to see Him as He is. And you're not going to need a lot of hope because our blessed hope has already appeared. But in heaven, we're going to be living out this idea of charity for all eternity. So the greatest of these is charity. So here's a question I have for you. How are you doing? How are you doing? And look, none of us are doing right. None of us are doing well. All of us can work. If you, if you sat through that sermon and said, I got it all good. You need to work on this part. It's not puffed up. Okay, all of us need to work on this. But look, don't just minimize and say, oh, it's not me. Well, it's not how I was raised. Well, I just can't. You know, it's just my Irish blood. Make sure you work on these things. Because if you don't, you are a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. I am nothing, and it profiteth me nothing. And now by the faith, hope, charity, these three, and the greatest of these, the greatest of these is charity. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these passages in Scripture that have so much truth, practical truth for our lives. And Lord, if nobody in this room goes home and works on their charity, Father, I pray that you would help me. Because I know I fail in these areas as much, if not more, than everybody else. And Lord, I pray you would help us to live lives mindful of this word, charity. And Lord, there are sure things on this list that we do well and maybe things that we're struggling with. Help us to identify those and help us to work on them. And Lord, help us to live a life of charity. I wonder what would happen if the 128 people sitting in this room went out to work, to the grocery store, to all the different areas that they're going to be in tomorrow, and they just began to live a life of charity. I wonder what impact that would have in this world. I wonder what impact it would have in this community. I wonder what impact it would have just in this church. Lord, I pray you'd help us to live charity, help us to live charitable lives, help us to learn and identify what charity is really from Scripture and help us to live it out in our lives. We love you, Father. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray.